0: Hi there, my name is Alex Faust and you're listening to Conversations at the Edge. Each week we meet with the top business thought leader to learn what they think we should be prioritizing to build better businesses, positively impact our communities and scale up. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, depending what part of the world you are joining us from. And today I'm very excited to be joined by Deb Gabor who is Uh, not just a leading expert, but more accurately, a brand guru or a brand evangelist when it comes to branding your business. She's written a book on branding twice with bestsellers, Branding is Sex, which is the topic of our conversation today, and Irrational Loyalty. Uh, So Deb, welcome to Conversations at the Edge. And where are you calling in from today?
1: I'm on the very edge of the earth at Austin, Texas right now. But yeah, I'm really I'm happy to be back. You know, I love doing things with this community.
0: You know, I know we're going to talk about branding as sex. But before we get there, I guess it's, it's tied into both books is this is this idea of irrational loyalty and, and branding that creates irrational loyalty. So wondering if you can tell us what does that that idea of irrational loyalty mean to you and, and to branding?
1: Sure. So irrational loyalty is the condition where customers are so indelibly bonded to a brand that they would feel like they were choosing or that they were cheating on the brand if they were to choose an alternative. It's kind of how I feel about all my eye thingies. I often tell this story about how I uh, a couple of years ago when Samsung came out with a competing product to the iPhone that was so virtually indistinguishable from the iPhone that the two companies sued each other. I thought, hey, you know what? I should go check this out. And I went to the local Best Buy store and I held one of those... Samsung Galaxy S whatever's in my hand and found out it was beautiful technology and it had faster memory and it had more storage, more durable glass. It cost $400 less. It was more widely available. has this big open ecosystem. Yet when I held it in my hands, I felt dirty. Like I was cheating on Apple. Likewise, when somebody, and Apple people know this, when somebody texts me from an Android phone and I get their green text bubble, I feel twitchy, right? And so irrational loyalty is this condition that when you have it, then you absolutely have a legendary brand. You have a brand that scales, that grows, that is unique. Um, It allows you to charge a premium for your product or service. I mean, look at Apple, right? Their products, in most cases, are not technologically superior, given the conversation we had about AirPods a couple of minutes ago. They're not technologically superior, yet people are paying for the contribution of the value of brand in terms of how it elevates them in their own lives. So irrational loyalty... It, it protects you against turbulence as a brand. It helps you charge a premium and increase your margins. It also helps you stand out as unique in a world that is becoming rapidly commoditized in almost every category. And so that is sort of everything that's tied up in that emotional re- relationship that is branding.
0: You know, I think we can probably identify a lot of the B2B consumer or B2C consumer uh, companies that evoke this irrational loyalty, who are some of the B2C or B2B companies, excuse me, that are doing a really great job uh, with their brand and irrational loyalty?
1: You know, I'm really glad that you asked this question because this idea of irrational loyalty is something that's available to brands, whether they're B2C or B2B brands. It doesn't matter. They don't have to be product brands. Um, services brands can engender this kind of loyalty. Uh, And this condition of irrational loyalty exists all over the world, every category, every part of the world. So I'm glad that you asked about B2B brands. One of the brands that comes to the top of my head uh, is Salesforce, People are really, really enthusiastic about using Salesforce. That they, uh, to the point that you know they are irrationally loyal to the brand. So irrationally loyal to the brand that every year when Salesforce does that Dreamforce conference, I don't know if you've ever attended one. I had the pleasure of being a VIP at one and you know sitting backstage with Aerosmith in their green room as a VIP. I mean, there's nothing cooler than that. But Salesforce is one that does a really good job of engendering irrational loyalty. Another one that I think of, which is one that doesn't sort of come off the top of people's heads. but SAP. SAP is a B2B brand that people in the space who are using the brand are like absolutely hardcore enthusiasts for SAP. And so what I what I encourage people who are leading B2B brands, To do is actually go out and look at this list of the top most valuable global brands. So, back in the days when I used to have a job before I started my own company, one of the companies that I worked for is actually the company that does this study that measures what is the contribution value of brand, the awareness footprint the goodwill, the emotional connections, the loyalty associated with brands. What is the contribution value of that brand to the overall capitalization of companies? And they produce a list every year of the top most valuable global brands. Roughly half of those brands are B2B brands. So they are brands like Salesforce and SAP. NTT Data is another one that's on there. Dell Technologies is another one that's on there. You've got software companies, hardware companies, manufacturing, distribution, uh, logistics, like all of the various categories up there. So this condition does exist for B2B brands.
0: And how are they measuring like an, an excellent brand? I actually, I wanted to talk a little bit about like KPIs for us as business leaders to be figuring out whether or not our brands are being effective, what are they measuring and what do you think that, that we should be measuring in terms of branding?
1: Yeah, totally. First, I, I want to demonstrate something because I think it's easy for the audience to like really understand the financial impact of brand and why you need to measure certain KPIs. So are you willing to take a little quiz with me real quick? Yes. Okay. No trick I questions I, in this. No yeah, trick questions. I hope I do well. I'm sure you're going to do well because you're a straight A student at everything. If I ask you to name a brand of canned soup that you can buy at the regular grocery store off the top of your head, what brand comes to the top of your head just immediately? Campbell's. What is the number one sold brand of canned soup across the world, across the land? It's Campbell's, not a trick question. Okay. What other brands of canned soup are you aware of that you can buy at the regular grocery store? Progresso. Okay. What's the number two brand of canned soup that is bought at the regular grocery store? It's Progresso. Have you ever heard of this brand of canned
0: soup called Amy's? I have heard of Amy's, but I don't know. You can get it everywhere. Right. Have you ever bought it? Not the soup, but I think the mac and cheese. Like
1: the mac and cheese or like the little pizza roll things or whatever. Okay. All right. I just demonstrated for you how brands get on that list. All right. That first kind of awareness, Campbell's soup kind of awareness, being able to name a brand off the top of your head in any category is the strongest predictor of whether or not a brand will be purchased. So for business leaders who are listening to this, watching this right now, the number one thing you should be measuring is top of mind awareness. Top of Mind Awareness is that category association, the ability to name your brand in the first position. This is a statistical relationship that has been modeled in every category. I know this because my company does millions and millions of market research interviews every year where we measure things like Top of Mind Awareness. Top of mind awareness is the strongest predictor of whether or not people will buy your brand. That is like the number one KPI. Number two, kind of awareness, progresso soup kind of awareness, which was the answer to the question, what other brands can you think of? Notice if you're watching this, Alex looked up and to the right, like he was searching the inside of his brain for another brand and you know, 45 seconds later came up with Progresso. That kind of awareness is good, but it's not as predictive of your success as a brand as that top of mind awareness. That's called unaided awareness. There's a strong correlation, but it's not the strongest. Third kind of awareness is recall. This is the kind of BS type of awareness that companies are usually out there measuring and reporting, which is when they ask their own customers, have you heard of us? And then they ask them, have you bought us? So those measures are often inflated. So if you notice, Alex is a straight A student. You answer the question, you know, in a way you're like, hmm, I think I have, but I've never bought it. When I ask a room of a thousand CEOs, have you ever heard of Amy's? I might get like 30% of the room to raise their hand and say yes. And then when I ask them, if you bought it, keep your hand up, everybody else put your hand down and like, we'll have two people in the room who bought it. Top-of-mind awareness is a really, really good proxy for market share, right? So it's a very, very strong sort of reverse-looking KPI, top-of-mind awareness. Other things that get companies on that list that I was talking about, which the top five global, most valuable global brands are like you know, uh, Google, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Microsoft you know, just they're, they're sort of the ones that we're always talking about here. But then if you look further down the list is where you get the SAPs and NTTs and Salesforce and IBM and all these other brands, especially the B2B brands that we were talking about. Um, The other ways to get on that list besides top of mind awareness is clarity and consistency. Do people understand what the brand is about? Do they understand what it's for? So some measurement of clarity and bonding and understanding, and is the brand really reinforcing the organization's positioning? But I say, if you only measure one thing, and I'm a huge fan of fewer KPIs versus more. If you only measure one thing, top of mind awareness is sort of the highest end thing to look at, because that tells you if you occupy people's mind in in the first place position, then, then you have won the battle for at least their mind. Then you have to win over their hearts, their wallets, their genitals, all that kind of stuff. So there are other measures that, that savvy organizations should be looking at from a branding perspective that are more sort of forward-looking. But top-of-mind awareness is the number one thing. It just says whether or not you have established the footprint to really be a legendary
0: brand. Um, so I want to get to your book, Branding is Sex. Um, you claim that the best brands... In the world make you feel like you want to have sex, so can you clarify a little bit about what you mean by that and and how would uh, a company go about achieving that goal
1: yeah totally so it 's not about being sexy it is about making people feel like they want to have sex so here's the theory behind that and you know this is a book by the way, it has a really cheeky title, but there's really serious business content inside branding is sex is a book where basically for the cost of a book, I give away the methodology that we use in my company. And, you know, every day with our clients and we've used literally to successfully build or reignite thousands of brands, most of them household name brands, like the ones that you rattled off at the beginning there. So like there's serious content in there. This is not a book about porn. Um, but the, the feeling of like wanting to have sex is really like we relate it sort of to like what, what, it, what are underlying human needs? Like what makes people feel really great? And so there's a nice, uh, explanation in the book and I also do this when I do speaking engagements and you know do workshops and stuff we talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs Maslow's hierarchy of needs suggests that every human being is on a path to eventual self-actualization self-actualization when you are at the top of Maslow's hierarchy the top of that pyramid up there that's when you are at your highest performing most capable of fulfilling your full human potential happiest nirvana as a human being I suggest that when you're feeling at your absolute best, you probably want to take a roll in the hay. If the, if the opportunity presents itself when you are like performing at the pinnacle and you feel your best, you want to connect with, with you know, someone you care about and you want to take a roll in the hay. So that's what we mean like, by like wanting to have sex. The best brands in the world are the ones that give people that feeling. And again, this is available for B2B brands, B2C brands, services, products, high-end, low-end, whatever. Because the idea is that what people buy, what they eat, what they drink, what they wear, what they drive, the services that they hire for their business, the software they buy for their company is all part of their ascension up Maslow's hierarchy. You as a brand are part of that, right? And the goal is to help people get to the top of the pyramid. So that's the theory behind branding as sex. Also, if there's time, I've got a really good story about where the metaphor actually came from, from my actual work. It's a good story and it'd be good for the insiders here.
0: There's a big expectation, I think, today for brands to be speaking out about global issues. And I think there's pressure from employees and, and customers and boards. Um, and I'm I'm curious to get your thought on that, you know there's so many things going on in the world. I'm sure it could oftentimes get distracting for companies to have to have a, a statement on every global issue. So curious as to, to where you think the brand kind of fits in the global world environment.
1: Yeah. Um, that's a really big, it, it's a, it's kind of a big issue and and that's a lot of what the book Irrational Loyalty is, is about. Um, it, so, some of this goes back to like, ultimately, what is the social responsibility of business? And so we could have a Milton Friedman argumentation session here if we wanted to, but really what you're asking is like, when a brand decides to take a stand, you know, what do they take a stand for or against and how do they decide really is probably the more practical part of this. Um, It is not required for brands to take a stand on social issues and social causes. It really isn't. Unless it's an expectation of their customers that they do so. So something happened. This was a demographic trend that a demographic psychographic attitudinal trend that started probably about 10 years ago as millennials were coming of age as purchase influencers, being the, you know, the people who control a large part of the expenditures in our economies in the largest economies of the world increasingly people were coming of age and also having the expectation that the brands that they patronize really represent what they stand for. So a brand is a magnet, and that magnet is designed to attract to it people who share values and beliefs that are Aligned with the values and beliefs of the organization and the brand, right? And so this need to like feel good about how you were spending your money had started picking up speed, but only like in an incremental way. Come here comes the 2016 presidential election here in the United States. Black Lives Matter. Um, then you know Charlottesville. Uh, the pandemic, and then the universe said, "Here, hold my beer," and like you know, the whole world erupted, and all of a sudden, we're like off to the freaking races, right? If your ideal customer, like the the customer who's most highly predictive of your success as a brand, has the expectation that the brand that they patronize in whatever category you're in takes a stand on something that's important to them then you might consider doing it. When you do consider doing it, there's a couple of really important things. Choose wisely. Don't just pay it lip service. Put your money where your mouth is. We saw lots of examples, especially around the social justice movement and Black Lives Matter, of organizations, very, very large organizations, taking up the flag for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Right. And then on the flip side, not having a single board member of color, not having a single woman in leadership, right? You know, things like this. So make sure that you are authentic and you are going to put your money where your mouth is. Make sure that it's aligned with your business and your business goals. It's also okay to be like completely, you know, apolitical if your audience is not expecting of it, expecting it of you. So you have to choose wisely, be authentic. Um, honor it, put your money where your mouth is, eat your own dog food, so to speak. Um, very, very, very important. And, you know, like there's a, uh,
0: it, you know, there's, there's a world to choose from. Thanks for listening to Conversations at the Edge. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please share it with a friend or a teammate who you think would benefit from what we covered. In addition, you can find us on LinkedIn to get all of the updates. Or if you'd like to hear the full conversation, just visit growthinstitute.com forward slash the edge to learn how you can become a member as well. Thanks again and see you next time.